hi and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roos, and I'm recording this from my hotel room in Amsterdam as I'll be running a three-day coaching workshop. And I managed to catch up with an old friend who will be today's guest, and I'll tell you a bit more about uh, our guest in a, in a couple of seconds. But before that, I wanted to give a big shout-out to this week's Unconventionalist Fan of the Week, and that's Daniel underscore James, who on iTunes left a five-star rating and wrote, wow, great practical content. I listen to this in the car and can't get enough of it. Thank you for this. Thank you so much, Daniel. So appreciate you taking the time. And if you'd like to be featured in the podcast as one of the Unconventionalist Fan of the Week, all you've got to do is go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And I look forward to reading your uh, rating or review in the upcoming episodes. Now, the other thing I also want to let you know uh, is that I will be shortly announcing the opening for the applications of one of my most favorite things I get to do, and that is my Impact Accelerator. I only run this uh, once a year, and I get to work with some truly inspiring and passionate people who know they've got this thing inside and they want to put out inside the world, but for whatever reason, feel a little bit lost as to what direction they should be going or if anyone would actually even pay attention to what they have to say. And we go on this journey, this incredible journey, where I take you through really understanding your story, understanding what impact you want to have in the world, how to find your voice, how to clarify your message, and how to broadcast it to the world in such a way that you get to have the impact you want. And it's truly one of the most amazing things I get to do, and I really hope that we'll get to work together. So if you're keen, if you want to find out a bit more, make sure to go over to my website, markrews.com, and click on Get Started. Uh, and jump on my mailing list, and I'll be announcing that exclusively on my mailing list first and foremost in the coming weeks. So I hope I'll see you there. Right, today's guest is a very special guest, and it's a very special guest for, for many reasons, but one of them is that David Arnu is my childhood friend. I've known him for many, many years. We grew up together. Uh, and in fact, if you refer back to a previous episode, with my best friend and childhood friend, Dennis Duvoshell, uh, you're going to actually understand a lot of uh, similarities because David and Dennis were both co-founders of a previous startup called To Do. And as you'll hear in today's incredible story, really, how David spent the last 12 years reiterating and, and really kind of fine-tuning his skills as a marketeer and also as, as, as someone who applies what he learns and an avid learner. If I if I had to put it that way, I would say an avid learner would describe David. And I just hesitated because I thought I might have not recorded the actual uh, episode. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so and so we sat down. We kind of heard mapped out David's journey and story. You know, he lived in the U.S., lived in France, lived in China, and actually how he went. You know, through startups and a few iterations, and what he learned along the way. You know, some of the key lessons that he finds were behind really the success of his of his now company called Growth Tribe. Uh, based in Amsterdam, but now located in almost six countries, I believe. And they've got an incredible cult following. They work with some huge, huge companies and big brands. And they're narrowing the gap in the skill gap that's happening out in, 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 in the world. And, you know, they're on a fast mission. They want to impact a million people, teach them some incredible skills that need from AI to blockchain to, to marketing and so forth. And I'm probably not doing justice, but David, you'll see, and as, as you'll see in today's episode, will we'll make a much better job as me. But what I love about it is when you get into the office, there's something written on the floor that says, this way to learn the skills of the future. There's an arrow. And then on, on the other wall, there's written, empowering people to rapidly gain skills in a fast changing world. If you want to see the photo of their office, make sure to go and check out my Instagram story. It's going to be up by the time you listen to this. And it was just really cool actually to sit down. It's always a bit of a challenge to interview you know, really good friends because I know them so well. And yet it was great for me to actually learn some new things about David's journey, things that I wasn't aware of. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to let me and David know by tagging us over on Instagram, on your Insta story. You can find me at, at Mark Roost and David is at Darnox. That's D-A-R-N-O-C-K-S. So make sure to let us know. And ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one and only David Arn. David, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Mark. Dude. Thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah. It's so fucking awkward. awkward. So, um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're sitting in a room. Uh, is this a room? Is this, this like used to be the handicapped toilet of this uh, building, but yeah. uh, we've repossessed it and turned it into a uh, meeting room because we were out of meeting rooms, and we've put the handicapped toilet in, a, in another room. Yeah. So we are Can we still say handicapped these days or disabled? <laughs> I'm I don't even sure know. About that one. I don't even know. But we're in this little room, and there's like we're literally. It's in a, is this where the, the dog sleeps? There's like some hair. There's like, like where the dog. Comes. I don't know. I don't think the, the cleaners don't come here. Um, and yeah, the dog might sleep here. I don't know who <laughs> sleeps here. But this is. We are in a toilet. We're yeah. officially in yeah, a toilet. This is the first one. So yeah. I think you're the, so you're the second mate I've had on the show. My childhood friend, so Dennis, came and did an episode. Yeah. Um, the most depressive episode I've had. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the first one to say it. Is it published? Yeah, yeah, it was published. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was published. Yeah. Um, but so <laughs> I'm here with David Arnu, aka David Arnox. Um, and man, I'm really excited. Actually, we've been wanting to do this for a while. Apparently, you're gonna. Are you really excited? Yeah, man? I am yeah. actually. Just to kind of hear hear the background story and. Um, yeah, anyway, so your childhood friend, we've known each other for a while. It's always a challenge, actually, to interview a childhood friend because right. I've got to remember what's public knowledge. No inside jokes. And what's, uh, yeah, yeah, and what's like, What no. does nobody care <laughs> about? <and laughs> what's going to get us sued? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so one of the things is, uh, so you're the co-founder of Grove Tribe. Mm-hmm. We'll get to talk about that in a second. But before we do that, one of the things about this podcast that people are always interested in is like the stories. Like how do we pe- end up? where we are. Why do people end up doing what they're doing? Yeah. And so um, if you take us back, I remember when we were kids, you were like, I'm going to invest in a, what the fuck just happened? Oh, the lights came off. <laughs> you have to move a little bit. <laughs> that was so creepy. You didn't tell me about this, we just got, yeah, we just I, got, didn't, I didn't bring protection. It just got really <laughs> dark. The, the lights just uh, <laughs> turned off automatically. We have to keep moving. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so we were kids. I remember right from an early age, oh God. you were like, oh, I think the thing to do is to invest in Elastic Bank's company. Because they'll never go Ooh, out of business. Good memory. Yeah, they'll never go out of business. I'll buy shares good in, in these elastic banks companies because we'll always need elastic banks. Yeah. I remember this. I remember already from a young age, you were like, Yeah, my parents actually told me when I was eight, I'd already told them I wanted to start a staple factory when I'd be older because I thought all staples were the same color and they should do like color coded staples <laughs> according <laughs> to the pamphlet <laughs> that you were selling. And then I did. I pivoted. I decided yeah. to pivot. Yeah. The business model canvas was yeah, great. Yeah. I, I pivoted to plastic bands. Get that. So from like yeah. eight or nine, I always but already but wanted to. But yeah, did you have shares? Did, did I make this up? I remember like from like even when we were like teenagers, you're already looking into like investing in shares or yeah. you're looking at the stock. Like even if it, I don't know if you actually did. Yeah, it was just to play around with yeah. it to, to see if it was something that I would uh, cool. that I would like. So you you grew up. You had a bit of a, a different background because your dad had like an international kind of career, but you grew up a bit in the states. Yep. Yeah, where about? In Philadelphia. Yeah. In Valley Forge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania. Do you remember that? Do you remember your time back yeah, then? Yeah, 100%. It was like from 8 to 12 or 13. So okay. Because you played so- soccer there. I'm going to put in soccer in brackets. Soccer, hockey, yeah. some baseball. Uh, what else? No basketball. And uh, yeah, you do a lot of sports in the cool. States. You finish class round two. Yeah. And then it's just sports uh, all afternoon. Then you go home, have dinner, and then you play kick the can with your friends on the shared garden that yeah. you have with other people. Yeah, like yeah. the perfect American <laughs> suburbs. <laughs> cool, man. But then yeah. you came back to France. Yeah. And that's where you met. Yeah. You came over to, to Fontainebleau kind of area. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so then after that, you ended up going to like a French, what we would call a business school, right? Like yeah, a French a business school, school, school that had the. So I almost went to a British university and okay. then I found this French school that would allow me to do a dual diploma in uh, in France and in the UK. So yeah. I would have both diplomas. You went so to Manchester. Is it Manchester? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Manchester. I remember that. Cool. Yeah. So you do that. And then how did you end up in China? Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember the link of how you ended up going from doing that to yeah. suddenly yeah, working in China. Yeah, it was just an opportunity. So I was drawn by China. I'd already read five or six books uh, about China. I thought it was really far. It was really interesting. Mm. Uh, I also didn't see anything I wanted to do in Europe. Uh, I, the, the thing that I have is I've done trial and error a little bit with work ever since I'm like 17. Yeah. So usually people would go on holidays uh, on the summer, and I actually never went on holidays. I was talking about m- my mother the other day. Because you broke your ankle. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was later. It's gone dark again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every single summer since I was 17, I did internships, Okay. which is the best way to do trial and error of what yeah, you yeah. like. I was talking to a buddy 100%. the other day. He did four and a half years of law school, mm. only to find out that after his first two weeks uh, in a law firm, he hated it. He's like, Fuck. I don't want to be these people, Yeah, yeah. which is what I find really funny. So <coughs> it, I, I I knew that I didn't want to work in a um, 
I didn't want to work in a or a advertising agency. I didn't want to work in a bank. Uh, and there were two or three other mm. sort of internships. I'd done three month internships. And you didn't think about pharmaceuticals or anything like that. No, well, actually, I went to uh, I, w I I had an opportunity to do an internship in China in a, f a large pharmaceutical company, mm -hmm. so a Fortune 500 company, uh, specifically on like marketing and communication. Because your dad's in pharmaceutical. I mean, just to pick the link, because your dad was in pharmaceutical. Yeah, yeah. So, so he told game. me about it. I yeah. thought it might be interesting. I was able to find something there, uh, and then so I just went to China. I had some buddies that were in China that just happened to be there. Uh, they were doing some work around sourcing and trading, so it's buy buying small commodities and then helping uh, European and American buyers mm. find the factories, do the quality yes. control and ship it over. I did six months in that internship. They offered me a job, but actually the chief purchasing officer there was getting fired just at the moment my internship was uh, ending, and I had a buddy who was a bit bored with his job. And we were just like... That's not Greg, is it? Yeah, it was Greg. Greg so he was, he was also Gregory in... Gregory Salzman was, uh, was in China. So he was in China as well? Uh, yeah. And ah, I, thought, I thought you met him at the business school. Yeah, I met him at the business okay, school. Okay, cool. But so he happened to be in Cool. A, in and you China. were both was in Shanghai? You guys were both in... Yeah, we were He was in... Sh well, we were in Shanghai, but yeah. then we moved to a small town called... A small town of a million people <laughs> called <laughs> Zhejiang Yiwu, yeah. which was uh, like the biggest small commodity market I in the world. I remember flat, yeah. Yeah. We had a house with cockroaches. So and that's rats. how it started. So you, so you, so you both decided, okay, cool. Well, how about we start our Let's own start business? Let's start a company because we had Nathan Osborne who spoke Chinese, could write contracts. Uh, he was good in, the, yeah, so good in Mandarin, yeah. and he could negotiate. He had been buying stuff from factories for many years. Yeah. Then we had uh, Gregory who had all the connections in France, and yeah. with me who knew how to do uh, marketing, design, yeah. and sort yeah, of yeah. multidisciplinary. And this is Maya sourcing. Yeah, this was called uh, Maya Trading. Maya company. Trading. So yeah, it was yeah. a, tra a trading organization. So yeah. we would buy small commodities from companies, and we would ship them. Cool. Back to Europe, and we would make a margin on it. And yeah. Just so this is what, like 2007, 2008. I don't know. It's just uh, this was like it was first company was when I was 20. So yeah. Cool. Okay. Then yeah. What am I like? 34 now. It's 14 years ago. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So you're in Shanghai. So you're doing this. I remember this. And yeah, so you're helping companies find local manufacturers yeah, to create products. Just first, stuff. first business. Yeah. Um. Then we tried to get into software a little bit. Uh. Trying to sell software to the. Chinese factories to make the communication easier with the uh, to make the communication easier with the uh, with their suppliers, uh, and then we found out that there was an untapped market in f in uh, Europe which was skinny ties. Yeah. So we started selling skinny ties, and we s decided let's put our brand on it so we can put a huge markup. And yeah. I, uh, that's where I discovered unit economics and uh, yeah. profit margins. And Blue Lemon was born. B and a brand called Blue Lemon yeah. was born. Where, uh, did, where does the name come from? Yeah, it's a song called I Wonder. Y you know that song? I Wonder How, I Wonder Why. Yesterday yeah. you told me about the blue, yeah. blue sky, and all yeah. that I can see is just a another lemon tree. It yeah. was a song I had in common ah. with Gregory. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, pink lemon, but that looked too much like Eden Park, so we made it blue yeah. lemon, easily recognizable, easy for everybody to pronounce, yeah. uh, easy to remember. And so we started a men's fashion accessory brand just yeah. out of pure iteration. So my first ever experiment uh, was I created an eBay store back in the days where we ha I put 20 products there because everybody was telling us, build a website, build yeah, a website. Yeah. I was like, let me test this in a week. Sure. And so I put like uh, a bunch of ties on it and they just sold out after like a week. In France, so the most yeah. in the European market. It was yeah. in France. There was like Belgium. There was a bit of Germany, a bit of UK because yeah. it was eBay. And it just sold out after a week. So we thought there might be some potential there. This is an early signal that there might be something big. Yeah. Uh, and the profit margins were amazing. You buy a, a, t a skinny black tie; those were really trending back in the days for ten cents. Yeah, and you sell it for fifteen euros. Yeah, in, uh, in France. I, I found some photos that you got us in over at Greg's flat to do like a fashion shoot. And I found some oh photos yeah. of me with like a skinny tie. I was like, yeah. what the hell? Was that? I was like, oh, yes, that was Dave. Yeah, <laughs> we did a fashion shoot. Like just yeah, really, yeah. really resource yeah. constrained. Use your buddies for as mannequins, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as models and do the pictures. And so how are, you, how are you picking like the styles and stuff? Because obviously There's you don't have a fashion background. So I have zero fashion background. Yeah, yeah. So but how, how did you come up with like well a product? It's simple. Or? It's like lean selling. So yeah. you put 100 pieces online and uh, very similar to how they started. Uh, I think it was Zalando or Zappos. He would actually yeah go and take photos of the shoes yeah and sell them online sell and them buy online. them and send them so we would only yeah. buy after we'd sold it okay. so it's like we still do this today it's like sell okay. before you build yeah, yeah yeah sell before you actually 100%. build the product um, so yeah then we saw that there was a trend around these skinny ties and then you people like skinny ties with stripes etc cetera, etc cetera. so we became sort of a powerful e-commerce platform mm -hmm. for men's fashion accessories mm -hmm. that made quite some cash. And are you still at this time doing Maya trading? Is that still are you still? Yeah, so we're do still doing sourcing on the side, okay. and we're using all of the money from the sourcing to build the brand. Okay. Then we make a bunch of cash online, and this was where I actually started sort of my growth marketing, yeah. growth hacking yeah, online. Because yeah. uh, you didn't growth. know you didn't know it was growth hacking back then. I had no idea what yeah, it was. Yeah, you were just it's trying not to get even growth hacking now. Yeah, yeah. It's just like how to sell products online cool. with good customer acquisition yeah. cost, good customer lifetime value. And what was really interesting was that back in the days it was really simple to grow a company online, especially with SEO. There were a lot of 
small Stuff tricks you that you could yeah. use. A lot simpler. And just, I understood unit economics. I understood that if you buy something for 10 cents and then you get it shipped and it costs you 30 cents uh, and then you sell it for 15, 15 euros, yeah. really simple. Yeah, simple, yeah. basic. And uh, you're learning Mandarin at the same time? Yeah, yeah. We only yeah, yeah. worked in... Uh, we only worked in Mandarin because in Iwu, Zhejiang, Iwu, nobody speaks uh, yeah. a line of. Uh, do you still? Do you still? Have you still? I've lost. Uh, really? Yeah, because I work with Rachel here. She helps me with like speaking engagements yeah. uh, and events, and uh, she's from um, she's from Chengdu. And we tried to have a conversation the other day, so she's really polite. Chinese people are really polite in yeah. general. They tell me, uh, like your Chinese is really good. <laughs> Actually, it's crap. <laughs> it's really terrible. At the it's not good at all. I've yeah, lost yeah. all of my Mandarin, unfortunately, yeah. but it's been such cool. a long time. I always have this story about when um, Greg was in a Japanese restaurant in Paris and they were talking and, and most Japanese restaurants <laughs> in Paris are held by Chinese <laughs> like, folks. And he, said, he, said, he said, like, don't screw me over on the salmon in Chinese. <laughs> and they looked him over and they were really surprised. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so Gre Greg still speaks uh, perfect. He still negotiates with the suppliers yeah. in Italy who are Chinese in, uh, in that's Chinese. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you, so you're building the brand, so that's happening. And then suddenly, what, at what point did you go, okay, my trading, we should put that on the side and we're going to go fall in on Blue Lemon. Yeah, well, the, it was generating more cash and the profit margins were nicer and it was just, we were losing less hair over it. It was more fun. <laughs> and Gregory, who's an amazing business person, an amazing networker, uh, he identified that there was a real potential with actually opening, funnily enough, brick and mortar stores okay. in Paris. Yeah. But bef before that happened, Dennis came over to Shanghai at some yeah. point and you were all living together, sharing flats. And yep. were you already then coming up with ideas? Because I remember you two used to do creative projects, yeah, right. like photos and like really funky stuff. We used to have a lot of side projects. So we yeah. built Giphy before Giphy. Yeah. So we had this uh, website called gifgifgifgifgif.com. Yes, I remember. Uh, we had fortunegift.com. We had the French Urban Dictionary. So we were already playing and around. And that's still trending. Like Dennis was telling me that without doing anything, yeah, 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 yeah. you still get like thousands of hits a month. Oh, that's hundreds of thousands. Oh, hundreds of thousands, yeah. yeah. Dico de Rue. Dico de Rue. It's the French yeah. Urban Dictionary. And we get, I think we get 450,000 visits per, uh, <laughs> per month at the moment. <laughs> and people still create words. Yeah, they create a bunch of new words. As soon crazy. as a new rap song comes out, somebody yeah. adds the word from that rap song to the uh, website. And then we that's rank mad. number one on Google and everybody searches for that and it's just organic and then we added like some commenting uh, yeah. functionality yeah, so yeah. people can share it added a bit of virality into it so these were just side projects yeah. like playing around with this stuff that's where you learn how to drive traffic to a, a website how to do attention ratio one but you were one. just chasing like curiosities right like something like oh that'd be fun to do this or would you see something that works somewhere else and thought okay let's adapt it yeah, it's like it's it was a great playing ground to learn new skills. Okay. Always about learning new skills. There's yeah. so much stuff out there, like how to do front-end code, a little bit of back-end code, yeah. user experience uh, design, UX design. I don't want to depend on anybody. Yeah. When we were at Blue Lemon, we depended on a, an exterior company to build our website. Yeah. I just didn't like it. But this that. is years ago, though. We've got to put things in context. Like when all this is happening, this is over like... 10 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. This was like before the dot-com bubble. Right. Uh, it was, no, it was, sorry, not before no, the dot-com, that's 99. <laughs> it, was it was before the 2008 economic crisis. Yeah. And it was like around 2007. And yeah. It, 2007 was probably one of the most pivotal years in tech history when yeah. you think about it. It's, uh, Facebook was launched. Uh, the uh, the I, I think it was the uh, the iPhone was launched. Mm. Uh, there was something around Twitter. Everything happened in uh, yeah. in, in 2007. 2007 yeah. And you know it was just it was a great time to um, it was a great time for tech. Except that David's getting his phone out for referencing the economic crisis <laughs> happened. Yeah, I was I, w I noted down Always earlier on all of the things that happened in 2007. Nobody knows this because it's sort of obstructed by the fact that there was economic crisis. So 2007 was came out of. Uh, what is it? Facebook came out of schools and went to the general public. Twitter was launched. Um, I can't read my handwriting. YouTube launches its first embedded inline advertising. Hmm. Just a bunch of stuff yeah. uh, happened uh, on that date. And the public cloud was launched by Amazon. Amazon Web Servers yeah. was launched in wow. 2007, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. And so then, so then Greg goes, okay, let's launch this brick and mortar business. Yep. So you're still in Shanghai. Oh, sorry, in the, in the in outside of Shanghai back then. Yeah. And so you're thinking now to move back to Europe. Yeah. So the idea was that uh, at the beginning of the business, I was still in business school. Huh? So we were, I was doing my business, I was finishing my mm. diplomas and launching the business at the same time. So ah. be between two uh, courses, I was making phone calls to suppliers in so Chinese. You so you went back to France to finish your study while yeah, you were still doing my trading. six months, went Got back it. to France, and then I went back to China again yeah. and then stayed two and a half years there or three years there. Yeah. And then 
we were like, okay, uh, let's go. Actually, we don't need. So we set up offices in China, yeah. our purchasing offices, and we yeah. had really good partners. Then we went back to France and said, let's distribute the brand in France. We need to be there yeah. physically. When we had the e-commerce store, and then when we had, and we started with a really small showroom type yeah. of shop, tiny yeah, yeah. little shop. And then we went up to a second shop. Where was it? Shop, it, was shop. it was in the south. It was in the fifth uh, district of Paris. Yeah, that was There's it. no one there. Nothing happening there, but okay. it was a showroom. Okay. And we realized people would travel like 45 minutes. There's a b there's some, I don't know what the bias is called, but it's yeah. like price perception bias. It's yeah. like somebody will negotiate three euros on something that's cheap, but they won't negotiate 300 euros when they're buying a car yeah. because the anchor price is so high. Yeah. People would travel like 45 minutes to save shipping fees. <laughs> <of like four laughs> it didn't make sense to us. And we're like, okay, maybe we should actually have more physical stores everywhere. And yeah. Greg understood the untapped potential of like tourism and that people, are, uh, tourists have a lot of cash. And then we got into uh, women's accessories as well. And then just like that was heaven because yeah. we were buying at the source. That was our source of hack the growth hack because you knew yeah and, and, and also we knew the suppliers yeah, everybody yeah. else was buying it from like from distributors. The third party yeah. yeah we were buying directly so from the the factories in china was there any like event that happened during that moment that you thought you were going to lose it all was there something like oh my god like we fucked up the inventory or the factory is not producing what the quality that we thought it would be would you have like one of these kind of war stories back then that kind of no not at all. Yeah. No, when we were doing, s no, not really. Yeah. I mean, okay. uh, the, the, the the struggles daily, right? It's yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's always something. Like, yeah. I, I compare entrepreneurship to, uh, it's like a pile of shit. Yeah. And <laughs> the pile of shit just keeps getting bigger and your spoon gets a little bit bigger as you hire people. <laughs> which is not completely true when you structure things well, like I did with my yeah. previous two companies. Yeah, yeah. Structured things a bit better, but it's like eating glass. Huh? It's just eating glass yeah. on a daily basis. And, and so you, and while this is happening, you're still doing creative projects with Dennis on the side. Yeah, creative products on the side, trying yeah. to be a photographer a little bit. So yeah, because you, you've always been quite arty. Like you've done some amazing drawings. I remember in your flat in Paris. Yeah. You'd have like these great drawings. You do that and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're, like you always have this creative eye and, and photography as well. Yeah, I miss that stuff a little yeah. bit. No time for it anymore. Mm -hmm. I hope I'll have time for it in the uh, yeah. in the future. But yeah, photography was an integral part to having an e-commerce website. I yeah. didn't want to outsource the photography. It's the yeah. part where I had fun. So the whole design I learned to use. Like when sometimes when people would go out and get smashed, uh, I would actually stay home and do like Photoshop tutorials. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> sad, but it's what I was doing. Or Illustrator tutorials yeah. or photography tutorials. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember like a lot of the design I used to do for like those creative projects. You were doing them on Illustrator yeah. and self-teaching yourself. Yeah, I remember. It was really so cool. much stuff you can learn out there. It's so exciting. And so, at what point? Because this is the interesting. What point did you suddenly go? Because I remember when Dennis came up with the idea of to do yeah. doing like a conversation over Skype. And then at one point, did he pitch that to you and go, hey, there's this thing well to we, were, we were already working on projects, and then I was getting a bit frustrated with the world of accessories. Because mm. uh, you've been doing this for like how many years? It had been four years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Four years, and the company was doing really well. Yeah. So I, uh, really well. Um, and yeah, basically, I just it, it, most of the projects I do, I don't do it for the cash. Mm. So the cash was great, but I was getting, I wasn't being stimulated enough anymore. Yeah. And um, so I had a conversation with my co-founder. I said, I want to try something new. And then uh, like I'm having a life crisis. I need to try something yeah. new. I also met my uh, future wife, yeah. uh, Laura, who happened to live in. Uh, How old were you then? How old were you then? Like it was eight years ago. So okay. I was 26 Six. by then. Yeah. yeah, 26. I was running the second company. And then um, we just had a bunch of tests with uh, Dennis. And Dennis was like, yeah, I've got this idea. I think that the future of messaging is actually through uh, uh, chat. Yeah. The future of messaging is no longer email. It's yeah. no longer project management. Yeah. It's chat. So it was basically pitching Slack to me. Yeah. Before uh, before Slack was a Yeah, take. before it was around. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go test this. I'm going to go join an incubator in the Netherlands because my, uh, my girlfriend is, is Dutch. Yeah. And it was a great way to be next to her. So before, wait, wait, before we jump into that, so you're then going, you've got this business with Greg, right? Yeah. And it's going well. You could have stayed there and that could have grown, et cetera. But there's this thing yeah. that's now calling you to go and explore what would it be like to go and explore this idea in an incubator that you guys would accept it. Yeah. Was that, was that like a hard decision? Like you, did, you did you tell Greg, by, did you know then that you were going to leave Blue Lemon to go and focus full-time on to No, but I de-risked it. It's really an interesting to yeah. de-risk your decisions. So I was like, I had a conversation with him and I told him, I'm going to go test this out. Mm -hmm. And if it's not cool, uh, I'll come can back. I come back? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, like if there's... There I've done made a lot of mistakes. One thing I've always done well is choosing the right co-founders. Yeah. And just not being an asshole ever mm. with co-founders. So I've never left. I've had four co-founders, mm -hmm. uh, four groups of co-founders, and with none of them I've ever had any problem. Mm. Never even like a You're big still in good terms with all of with them. With everybody. Yeah. 
Uh, and so we had a really, I had a really long conversation. I explained my situation and he saw that basically there was not really any choice. Mm. And he was really nice to give me those six months mm. to actually uh, go off to uh, yeah. Amsterdam to try this incubator, try yeah. to launch this uh, app. Yeah. And we got in through a fantastic pitch. They, they brought us in. So they w it was kind of a d difficult process to get into it. Uh, and then we got in. That must have been like a bit of a change, though, going from the world of e-commerce kind of accessories to suddenly you're like the startup kind of world of... It was already a startup. Like e-commerce yeah. was already a startup. So what I mean by that is like the accelerator kind of concept, everybody's kind yep. of like buzzwords and pivot and, M you know, MVPs and all this stuff. And yeah. No, no, not at all. I mean, it, it wasn't really that different. It's what I'd actually been doing without mm. putting terminology on okay. it. And it was just a, uh, an exciting new world. I think it's overhyped. Mm -hmm. The world of startups is definitely overhyped. The, mm. the, the idea of pivoting you're not going to pivot yourself to success. I, I don't think so. The idea of MVPs is a really good one, however. Um, and uh, yeah, so we joined that startup, got some traction, built the tool, built the product, worked remote, and then we launched sort of an early version of, uh, uh, of Slack, got some funding, and worked on that for two years. And that's really where I understood retention metrics uh, mm. and where I understood SaaS marketing. Uh, and I understood. So, for people who have no idea what those words mean, like oh, sorry. What does that mean? So, the idea is that there's a vanity metrics and there's actionable metrics. Too many people focus on vanity so metrics. So, oh, I've got 20,000 followers on followers, Instagram. likes, reach, that stuff. That yeah. stuff doesn't matter. There's something called the pirate funnel from Dave McClure. And in the pirate funnel, you have six key metrics that you need to optimize for your business. The first one is driving traffic to your website, your product, your service. The second one is acquisition, making sure people don't disengage with your app, leave. product, or service yeah. and leave as soon as they mm -hmm. arrive. The third one is activation, getting people to the wow moment on your platform mm -hmm. wow this product will make my life better for your podcast for example the wow moment probably comes after having maybe not a first great podcast mm. they hear but a second one mm. after a second one they're hooked uh, the third one is retention daily fourth. the fourth one sorry is retention daily weekly monthly active users and buyers mm -hmm. users or not buyers. just like one off i just bought this one thing off amazon exactly whatever yeah. and then i'm i don't care that you've had five hundred thousand downloads yeah. how many retained customers do you have mm. and what's a core metric for you for your activity so mm -hmm. slack daily active usage if it's more of a task management tool mm -hmm. maybe it's like weekly active usage mm -hmm. uh, and then if you're looking into some sort of e-commerce platform maybe it's monthly recurring buyers um, then you have referrals building virality viral loops so referral uh, yeah virality what we call the viral coefficient and finally revenue how mm. much money am i making from my customers upselling cross-selling right. this is what we teach by the yeah, way yeah. now at, uh, at growth tribe and what I understood there was that the core metric there was retention. And mm. retention marketing is a completely different type than the traditional marketing that you're taught, where it's usually like drive traffic to a website. And, and then and then everything and happens. Convert. Yeah. Here it's completely different. You have to do things called cohort analysis. So when you add new features, does that cohort from that specific given point of time, does the retention actually go up and down? Mm. And it's it's a fantastic, fantastic. It's like a dial. Uh, yes, and yeah. it's a, it's a it's feature-driven marketing, actually. Mm. And that's where you the line between product and marketing has dissolved. Product yeah. is marketing, marketing is product, and this new field that we call uh, growth. And there it's really data-driven marketing. Yeah. You jump into customer acquisition cost, customer lifetime value, average revenue <laughs> per user, all of these startup metrics you have to understand. It's scientific yeah. marketing. And what's beautiful is Peter Drucker says you can't manage what you can't measure. And it's true. And when you can measure something, you can manage it so much better. Your scarcest resource as an entrepreneur is time. It's the scarcest resource. Uh, and when you can measure something, you can focus on what works and throw away what doesn't work because you can actually measure it and double down on what's actually working. Yeah. So and and uh, it's gone dark again. And before <laughs> we get into like the whole kind of ethos actually of Growth Tribe, yep. there's just another bit. So you're going through this startup, you've got to do, and... At what point? At what point did you see that okay, this is this is this is going down, or this is not going to work out? Actually, we're losing traction. We're running out of money. Yeah. And what's going on through your head? Because you've left your previous business by yep. now, and this business that you've kind of engaged in is is kind of fading out. At what point did you go okay, what's next? It happened really organically. I think it's really about like having the right mindset and. Uh, it's identifying opportunities. Mm. Um, well I think everybody talks about persistence in the startup world. I think some people are way too persistent. Yeah. Like no when to when past no when to sanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really believe in early signals. If something's going to work, you're going to get some early signals that is going to work. Mm. It's not true for everything. Mm. The guys from Airbnb, you know, they hustled forever. The guys from Reddit, five six years before it actually took off, but. If you can in general in general look for some early signals that mm. something's going to work you'll know right away like right mm. away people will react well to it they'll ask you for it they'll beg to pay for it etc cetera, etc cetera. and what happened was after two two and a half years of not seeing those strong early signals mm. we had like i think 10,000 or 15,000 monthly recurring revenue mm. monthly recurring uh, euros which is nice but it's it, it's not great it's not mm. like hockey hockey uh, stick uh, mm. growth and we had what's called like fake uh, metrics or fake uh, what are they called again 
uh, fake traction. So, for example, we were given, we were winning prizes. We mm. were winning awards. Mm. That's the worst type of traction you can have because <laughs> it makes you feel special. <laughs> but most of the time, the people giving you the awards, they have no idea yeah. what they're doing and they're giving you the, awor the award for the wrong reason. Mm. There's this thing called the Accenture Award here in the Netherlands. And <laughs> I was looking at who's won the awards over the past five years. All of the companies that have won the award have actually gone Bankrupt. bust. Yeah. <laughs> so this is bullshit traction. <laughs> awards mean nothing, but they do help you with investors and with yeah. press. And yeah, because you got featured in BuzzFeed. And was it BuzzFeed? Uh, no, uh, we, did we did PR hacking, basically. Yeah. We found a way to preheat preheat journalists with small Twitter campaigns where we targeted only them and we tricked Twitter into thinking that they were 200 people we were targeting but 190 of the people we were targeting were fake Twitter accounts so actually we were only targeting 10 people mm. with Twitter uh, ads yeah. and then we, we only targeted these 10 journalists for like two weeks so when we finally reached out to them they're like oh I've heard about you guys I'm not sure where yeah. I've seen that logo yeah, yeah. before so then we got into TechCrunch uh, the, uh, the Verge um, a bunch of uh, all yeah. those tech uh, all those tech uh, Bibles, uh, Bibles, mm. which and we were really good at getting traffic too. Yeah. If anything, I was generating like 200 signups per day. I think maybe I'm exaggerating. Like <laughs> that is so good to call you out of this. It'd be like it wasn't 200; it was like I think it, no, but it, it was there. <laughs> it was like 100 or 150 for a task management tool yeah. on zero budget. Yeah, with zero marketing budget, it yeah. was all inbound, all effort. And I'd found ways. I w I'd found ways to trick Quora. So we had a little script to automatically answer questions on Quora. And on Quora, most questions have an average of three upvotes. So all you got to do is have four fake accounts. You give yourself four upvotes, and you're number one on all Quora questions, which led to 1.5 million people seeing our answers on Quora, yeah, yeah, yeah. on questions like what's the best task management tool out there and it was to <laughs> yeah. do. And then you're driving free traffic to your website and we, yeah. were, we were generating 100 So was it the product then? Do you think like there was just a problem with yeah, the Yeah, it was product side. We weren't yeah. iterating fast enough on the product side. Yeah. Uh, we weren't sort of uh, prototyping fast yeah. enough. <laughs> and uh, the go-to-market strategy maybe wasn't the best and then Slack came along and just destroyed Boom. us because Slack, uh, Stuart yeah. Butterfield, yeah, was, tons yeah. of funding. They, had, they used a technique from the Silicon Valley called blitz scaling, whereas you scale as fast as possible you throw tons of money at it until you grab as much market share as possible uh and then you know we started running out of money a little bit yeah and while we were running out of money i was like okay i'm actually going to do consulting yeah on the side because yeah. we can't pay for my salary anymore yeah and from that consulting and you're doing like that's what the marketing consulting you're doing i was doing growth marketing yeah, consulting yeah. there was okay. this new thing that had come out of the silicon valley built by sean ellis uh growth hackers the new vp of marketing it was an article by andrew chen and it was showing the use case of airbnb where airbnb is scraped Craigslist to drive traffic yeah. to their yeah, uh, yeah. product website and I was like fuck marketing's changed it's <laughs> it's it's like it's a it's more hustle grind kind of growth it's more technical yeah much more technical and it's not just campaigns and mm. copywriting blah 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 no it's much more technical yeah. how do you leverage platforms what platforms is your target customer on uh, it's what we call and then or what networks is your target customer in and how do you leverage other people's platforms sure. other people's networks OPN yeah, yeah. and I was like wow that's really interesting I started doing that so I started guest like, blogging do you remember your first client that you had as a consultant do you remember uh, the first client that you managed to get no uh, good question uh, I think it was maybe Philips and like, do you remember how you got that conversation going? So I met this guy called Case Van Nuna, which is they're call they call him Lean Jesus here in the <laughs> Netherlands. He's one of the greatest minds in Europe, I believe, uh, on on business creation and yeah. on business validation. And I remember seeing him in the accelerator, and I told him I have a chance to go on TV. And he told me, don't go on TV, never launch, never, ever launch your product before you have product market fit. First, validate your product. Mm. Because if you go on TV, you've got to launch and then it's really hard to recover from that if it's mm. the wrong product. He taught me everything about A-B testing, about validation testing. He taught me everything about startups, yeah. actually. He really yeah. he made me. And this, this, this was in the startup uh, yeah. accelerator. Yeah, he made me and then he recommended me to people. He was saying, ah. telling everybody like... This but is he must have seen something in you. He must have said, okay, this guy is no, hungry. Exactly. He's, he's, yeah. he, sh he saw how we were growing. Uh, he saw how I was going to do and he was really impressed, uh, yeah. I think. And then so yeah, he was a little bit like my Yoda. Yeah. And I was, who is it? Han Solo? or something uh, no, if it was Yoda, Luke, Skywalker. Luke Skywalker Luke Skywalker sorry Fred, okay. <laughs> you're, you're gonna get, gonna get hate emails. mails you're gonna get some emails <laughs> at Darnox if you want to insult me and uh, yeah he just he made me basically like, yeah. uh, and he built my and reputation so you started off and then suddenly so you're now sharing what you've learned which yeah. a lot of people listening to this often don't realize that they're sitting on a mountain of value of information that they've acquired over their experiences in years and suddenly you're going oh shit this company's gonna pay for yeah. me to teach this stuff so first uh, what I did is with Case 
Um, so he's a super connector. I would advise everybody to be friends with a super connector. That's my, my complimentary people have always been super connectors because mm. I'm much more sit down, get the work done, execute. Don't network. Network yeah. from networking for me is a huge waste of time. If I go to a conference, I'm going to lose six, seven hours to maybe have a good conversation with somebody. Not interested in that. I, I really want to focus, get some work done. But I've always um, uh, partnered up with super connectors. Yeah. Case was a super connector. Uh, Gregory in France was a super connector. Yeah. Uh, Peter right now, who I'm co-founder with, along with Quentin Laquenta, Peter's a super. Connector. What a name! Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> French. And um, what was interesting is that uh, we set up the uh, Europe's second growth hackers meetup on meetup.com. Uh, I remember you emailed yeah. me saying, "Oh, can you accept the meetup thing on connection?" Yeah. I was like, "I'm not even Amsterdam. Like, oh, it'd be cool." It doesn't matter. It doesn't we matter. found that if we could get 25 people to sign up to m our meetup within then like the first day or something, you would be put on the uh, mailing list. So we, ah. we found out how the algorithm worked. Okay. And yeah, that thing blew up. That's and an so early that was signal. So that's how it started. That blew up. I was I doing like a meetup. I was doing free. Uh, so I did the first three or four where I was just explaining to people stuff, stuff what is this learned. growth hacking thing? Yeah, yeah. What is it? And yeah. how, do, how does it's it work? Because uh, you did the logo. Oh, no, did you did you hire someone for the logo? Or did you do it? I no, remember. I did everything. Uh, yeah, you I did the logo. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. Which logo? The one with the face, the tribal. Oh no, that's Peter. He found somebody on Behance. Okay from uh, South America and said, could we have a mask that's a little bit representative of a Northern European tribe uh, because cool. we're, uh, we're a tribe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. But that was and so it started off as a meetup. It's, a meet it's a happened meet very ah, organically. Okay. Started a meetup. We yeah. saw a lot of people sign up to the meetup. Yeah. Huge retention. Yeah. People were coming back. And who are the month. people showing up? Yeah, product owners, marketeers, okay. digital marketeers, and they were coming UXers. Up and they had questions. They come up to you after the end. They came thing. up and they were like, uh, I, I, I did my first talk, which was like a, a one hour pitch, a yeah. one hour talk about what is growth hacking, some yeah. use cases, some stuff I had done. And people were like, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to do that too. Yeah. And I've How do I do that? Yeah, how do I do that? Yeah. Where do I start? So then I started building a process and stuff. And so three, four meetups, then somebody came to see us and said, guys, you know you're doing consulting for free by doing this. And then we started consulting. Uh, so I worked at some corporates and some startups where I was doing implementation of analytics. I was doing uh, implementation of campaigns, validation testing, uh, just everything that, uh, the, the, that, you that we're doing, yeah. cohort analysis. Yeah, yeah. And it's really Case that actually hooked me up. He hooked me up with the largest publishing firm uh in this country hooked me up with a large uh consumers uh electronics product philips who's this the lead jesus guy yeah, yeah case he was recommending me uh so yeah that's why i always say he made me uh and then it turns out i was really good at this i was good on the soft skills on the hard skills and then after a while we're like let's build a P peter I met Peter. So how did you meet Peter? Yeah, so Peter was actually the... He was also in Startup Bootcamp, but I had never met him, but he'd heard of me. And he was the main... Uh, he was the general marketing manager for Startup Bootcamp Global, coordinating mm. six, uh, eight, nine, or ten countries. Okay, so he had contacts. Yeah. And then um, I, w I did a talk, because I was doing talks at the time, and there was this tall, two-meter-ten Dutch guy, uh, two meters tall <laughs> Dutch guy in the front row just nodding at everything and just with a big smile. And then he came to see me after the talk, and he's like, bro, we got to start a company. What you're doing is amazing. And mm. that's not the first time somebody comes up and says mm. something like that to me. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And he's like, I think we need to start an education company, and I think I can get some, um, I can, I can get some help Funding, from the government. Yeah. I think I can get us an office space, and I think we need to do this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, good idea. Most people have a really big mouth, but they don't execute. Yeah. I get a call from him like three days later. The guy had already made like 25 phone calls. He'd already secured... Um, a partnership with Facebook, <laughs> and he'd found us uh, a shitty little room in the in the outskirts of the city, but we could use that as an office yeah. space. And I told him I absolutely need to have a little bit of money if I'm not going to do consulting for. Because by the way, you were going to be. Did you had like? Because I know obviously you already had a kid, but Laura, but did yeah. Was she pregnant then? Did she have? Did, was she? Where were you? No, about so I had a kid with the with to do with the third startup. Okay. okay. Dennis's, so Dennis's so brother was like, oh, I don't know if the timing is wrong for you to have a kid. And I'm yeah. like, it's never the right time yeah, to yeah, have yeah. a kid. Okay, ever. cool. So you're a dad now. Yeah. And you're thinking, man, I've, I've got to make money. I've got a family also to support, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I had savings huh, from uh, selling the. Uh, oh, yeah. From selling stuff at Blue Lemon. Okay, cool. Yeah, from selling the. And third so but you say, but I absolutely need to have a salary if we're going to do this with this company. Well, the, the thing is, uh, I'd invested that money. I didn't want to take the yeah. investments out. And I was like, uh, I, c I cannot stop the consulting unless uh, we find some sort of revenue. Yeah. Uh, and so basically there, I think we got, there was this organization called Startup Amsterdam and they were willing to fund our idea of starting the world's first growth hacking academy. Mm. It's the world's first, always start yeah. a world's first, always yeah. create a category, yeah. a new category, never go into a place with competitors, Peter Thiel, zero to one, build a monopoly, blah, blah, blah. 
so we got funding. It was really small. It was just it wasn't equity funding. It was just they said, here's forty thousand euros. You can build a curriculum to build the world's first growth hacking academy. So that gave me like That's mad. And so it's just they just give you forty thousand. You don't have to yeah. pay it back. N- no, you don't have to pay it back. It's government no. funded. They wanted okay. to fund educational okay. companies. But you got to stay in Amsterdam. Yeah, I yeah, stay in Amsterdam. And like I was like, well, dude, this guy in like three, four, five days, he's hooked us up with Facebook. He's got yeah. this funding. This is an he's execution okay. machine. Yeah. Okay. One of our company's values nowadays is get shit done. Yeah. No excuses. Just freaking do it. Get yeah. out there. Make the phone call. Like hustle. Get it done. And he just got it done. Very similar to Greg back in the days. Just got it done. Yeah. Even Dennis. Dennis was yeah. really about getting it done. Yeah. He doesn't like sales. Doesn't like selling. He doesn't care. He's still going to sell and do it. Yeah. Just that the number one thing get shit done stop looking for excuses put it out there so there's just two co-founders at this point so at this point there's two co- there were four co-founders uh it turns out that uh thank god we didn't do a shareholders agreement right away because we were four and it didn't work out but with how, how did you meet quentin uh so that that'll come a little okay. bit later quentin i was doing consulting projects with him at uh philips okay. really funny story uh, the guy who had hired me at Philips was like, what you guys are doing is great. I need more consultants to help the teams do this validation testing and this growth mm. hacking within Philips. So I start making phone calls uh, to people who are listing themselves as like data experts or growth hackers on um, on uh, LinkedIn. And then Quinton one day reached out to me to ask for some mentorship and some questions. And I was like, wow, this guy's asking me questions I can't answer. He's actually a lot smarter than me. Yeah. So I brought Quinton in for a, con- for a talk. It was yeah. supposed to be a talk. Yeah. The guy comes in at 9 a.m., thinks he's going to have an interview talk. And then the main client there is like, so this is David and this is Quinton and they're going to be your consultants <laughs> today. <laughs> and then he ended up doing eight hours of consulting. And Quint- <laughs> Quinton came to see me at the end and I'm like, really sorry for what happened. It wasn't structured. And then Quinton was like, I love this. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Fuck it, ship it. And he had the best time of his life. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, basically... That's the best way to test, you know, switch or sink just throw him in there yeah, in yeah, the yeah. deep end and he loved that that style and the guy was like the guy's an absolute genius so the, our third co-founder quinton can is our cfo our cto and uh, one of the best growth hackers out there and he's launching france at the moment and what's amazing about him is he can do everything really really well yeah. really really fast it's yeah. a different kind of mind so now the three co-founders are super complimentary of quinton who's extremely analytical extremely on the finance side we have peter's extremely visionary on the networking side and i'm sort of in the middle of the marketing yeah. storytelling yeah. and strategic uh, yeah, yeah. we're all strategic so that's mad so okay so you started there this how long ago how many years ago because i remember so that w- this company started two and a half years ago so this was what? two and a half to to yeah two and a half or it's starting to be three years ago so w- oh, okay because i remember when you came over to london with is it peter you said yeah yeah you were coming over we met up in shoreditch and you just had went to have a meeting with i forgot that client yeah and it, you were just starting this thing and i remember we're just going like oh this and you were like you, you, yeah you that was three years two wow, and a half or three years ago mad. yeah mad so now we're sitting in your office yeah we're like there's two floors yeah uh, i walked in uh, generally on it's not just because i'm your mate but i walked in earlier on and there was such a buzz. Yeah. Like I walked in and it was just like, whoa, like I just got hit. There was like people from everywhere. People were really welcoming. You know, there's like the walls are adorned with like the kind of what you would imagine a kind of a <laughs> startup, you know, like, you know, slogans and yeah. execute, execute, execute. And um, like the smell of the place. You yeah. Know, like, like the, did the you fire. ever imagine when you're doing those meetup? events did you ever think that it would become this no so peter probably but i don't believe in long-term vision or planning so much i don't Mm. think it's so important i think in i believe in the iterative process and keep on iterating until you sort of find signals that show that something works and double down on what works so we did sort of imagine like our big fat hairy goal is to train one million people yeah uh, within the next uh, four or five years. So what do you actually train then? Let's just go back to basics. People have no idea what growth yeah, so hacking is. Like, what do you cons- actually do? We used do? to do consulting on something called growth hacking, which yeah. is growth hacking is the idea that uh, there's a bunch of tools out there, behavioral psychology, tooling and automation, data and testing, and creativity. And put together, those skills are what we call growth. Mm. And you use those tools to optimize your metrics whatever KPIs or metrics mm. you need to optimize on the full customer journey, the mm. one I was explaining before. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Six points. Awareness, acquisition, yeah. activation, mm-hmm. retention, referral, revenue. So it's this idea that you have a full journey approach and using those tools... Like a, almost like a holistic approach of your journey of your customer's exactly. acquisition. To you be find a. out where you're leaking the most visitors, yeah. leaking the most revenue, and you specifically use... W- you identify one metric that matters and then you try to run as many experiments as possible. It's what yeah. we call rapid experimentation, yeah, high yeah. velocity experimentation yeah. on that uh, metric. Most companies, they run five, six projects per year, experiments per year. Mm. That's nothing. Mm. You need quantity of experimentation. Mm. If there's anything that's made Jeff Bezos and Amazon grow so fast is because the number of experiments they run per day, per month, per week, per year. Netflix, Facebook, 
PNG, those companies, they run tons of experiments on a yearly basis. Mm. It's not about quality of experimentation. It's about quantity of experimentation. Yeah. You also get quality when you, when you do But quantity. do you think there's also like a culture shift that needs to happen in organizations? Depends on the to company. To actually embrace the idea that you fail fast and, you know, like, oh, we're afraid if we're going to fail. Like, do, you f- do you come across employees? I don't who think companies are so afraid of failing anymore. I think like that okay. buzzword is th- th- that's fine. I think that the quarterly KPIs that companies have go against failing a little bit. I think it's okay. more the organizational structure that's killing them. The fact that comp- the departments oh, are the siloed. the red tape that they have to like. Oh. The red tape hurts, but it's mostly the organizational structure, the organizational. So first, it's the mindset. I do agree with you. The mindset isn't there. Um, we actually have a fail board in our company. Once we have 10 fails, we have a cocktail party. <laughs> I'm the fail of the month this month. <laughs> My face is on there. So when n- we're hiring like 10 new people a month at the moment, uh, approximately, yeah. when those people come into the company, they see one of the co-founders on the fail board, they're like, okay, okay. the co-founder is yeah, the yeah. fail of the month, it's okay to fail. And then the same, th- the next thing is sort of the um, having too many specialists within the organization. We mm. really believe in having specialists and multidisciplinary teams and silos within the organization. You've got marketing team and in marketing, you've got the radio person, you've got the TV person, you've got the ads person, you've got the copywriter. Mm-hmm. So that means that people need to do handovers when they're trying to run experiments. If you want to run mm. an experiment, you need a designer and a copywriter mm. and somebody to run some ads and somebody to prototype the onboarding. Right. You should be able to do that just with one right. team or just with one person. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. really that's really the notion of really small teams. There's a law, I forget the name of the law, for every extra person you add to the team, you actually lose inefficiency. Yeah. You don't increase inefficiency. Yeah, that's true. I've heard that. Daniel Priestley talked about that in one of the episodes. So here, we're coming to the end of the show, and one of the things that I'm really curious about is, you know, going from a one-man consultant to now running a business, you know, co-founding a business, like how many people do you have now? So we in two and a half years, we went from being three, now we're 75. Yeah. And we're present in uh, in London. Uh, so we're present in the UK, in the Netherlands, in France, in Sweden, uh, in Norway, in Finland, and we're working in Denmark. Denmark's Bananas. amazing. And we're working on Germany at the moment and, and Southern Europe. So it's it's kind That's of crazy. like, it's not blitz scaling, but yeah, it's yeah. fast scaling company, yeah. right? Two and a half years and you get to 65, 70 people. But like, what are some of the challenges? What have you learned from actually going from being a one-man executioner to yep. suddenly you're managing people? Yeah. You're having to deal with like, Human crisis, like uh, issues, and all this. Mm. Like it must be like a, it's like a, it must be like a different. Yeah, it's completely game. different. Yeah. Uh, so the thing is, we work in sprints. So we have like quarterly OKRs, which are like the the quarter. So we have our long term vision, then quarterly OKRs, and then we work in sprints. By working in sprints, we get together as a whole company, and we have a company sprint meeting every two weeks with the heads of departments. Mm-hmm. We've never there's never been an issue we haven't been able to fix in two weeks. There's never been an issue we haven't been able to fix. Like what Whether kind of issues? Sales, operations hiring cool. uh we're not we're not finding we're not finding the right marketing. recruitment for this exactly and you all jump in and we all jump in and yeah. we just that that's the thing about agility that you can focus on this thing about sprint planning and working mm. in sprints you can focus on what the main problem is it's all about focus and it's also about hiring the right people and having strong values we mm. have strong values since day one that we've put on a wall that actually embody Do us you know them yeah of course so it's uh, get shit done data levels all arguments don't take yourself too seriously be humble and help out uh, get shit done <laughs> again <laughs> always be learning always be teaching we're a secret society don't share all the secrets outside of the society um, and then <laughs> I like that. I'm forgetting uh, I'm forgetting uh, yeah. one or two but these have been really usually the cultural values are embodiment of the um, yeah, yeah. Of, of the co-founders basically don't hire assholes be humble don't take yourself too seriously be data driven and just get shit done execute yeah. and those if you have strong values a lot of people say this and if you hire the right people if you're sort of good at hiring the right people hire slow fire fast mm. always if you take time to hire the right people then you don't need any sort of micromanagement you can just trust people to get stuff done yeah. and we've hi- our com- company is really young eh? we have like people I think our average, yeah, I mean I saw average it's, it's age crazy. Yeah. 25, 26 yeah, yeah. when you hire the right people yeah. you don't need to micromanage you yeah they seem to be from everywhere as well I heard some English yeah. people Bulgarian it was we like have 17 nationalities at the wow. moment uh, yeah, yeah. and then you can have autonomous alignment which yeah. is basically you tell people sort of the quarterly direction where we want to go let them figure it out yeah, yeah. And, and they can figure it out and uh, yeah and this is what we try to teach also th- within our courses like whether it's in our artificial intelligence for non-coder courses so we teach AI in two days yeah. it's amazing <laughs> we teach people <laughs> machine learning yeah. how to build supervised unsupervised model image recognition yeah. natural language processing bunch of fucking buzzwords right <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about actually it's a tool you need to have in your brain yeah. come to a two day course you yeah. have that tool in your brain yeah, yeah, yeah. you can talk about it at a different level yeah, yeah, yeah. same thing with marketing automation same thing with behavioral psychology so we teach all well these it's things like you're preparing companies for the future of work and, yeah, like, yeah, and it's not the future it's the present yeah, you know yeah. it's 
Gibson says the future is now. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> and <laughs> some companies I are like way that. ahead. The yeah, digital yeah. natives, some companies are way ahead of you. Yeah. Way ahead of you. Yeah. Um, so it's already now. It's just you're super late. Yeah. That's I get idea. that. And yeah. so people, if people want to get involved, they go to growthtribe.io. Yeah. They go to growthtribe.io. Growthtribe all attached. Yeah. .io. You should be redirected to whatever country you're in. Yeah. If you're uh, and then there's a chatbot. Uh, you could look at the curriculum. Yeah. Uh, just talk to somebody. Because people can come for you. evening courses. They can come for a two-day course. Yeah. So in the UK, we do only the two-day courses yep. uh, for now. Yep. Uh, two-day crash but courses. But if they want to fly into Amsterdam. Yeah. A lot of people they yeah, fly yeah. into Amsterdam. They do the six-week evening course and two-day the the course in in the UK, for example. You know, we've had like the Economist. We've had Trainline. We've had Moonpig, and it's just our average score. We have one of the highest average scores in the adult education world mm. we have an NPS of uh, 90% 95% and we have an average score net promoter score for yeah, net NPS. Net promoter basically if you go to the restaurant how likely are you to recommend that restaurant to yeah. your friends we yeah, have yeah. 9.3 out of 10 average uh, on our courses yeah, yeah. and That's most amazing. people say it's the most amazing course uh, they, they've actually ever yeah, done because yeah. it's hands on it's practical it's 32 tools <laughs> in two days your brain is yeah, completely yeah. changed at the end of the days and you're part of a community as well you get to be part of our community and there's so many young people in our longer traineeships who have told us like this is the best decision I've ever made in my life yeah. to come to this six month we also have a six month program mm -hmm. to come to this six month traineeship so many people come out of university and they're like I need to do an internship now <laughs> to have actual <laughs> practical skills yeah. I'm like, what the fuck were you doing in your economics uh, studies? They yeah. were like, oh, we were doing math proofs. Why the hell were you doing math proofs? Mm. It's not even giving you critical thinking. Mm. What the hell do people do for four or five years? Well, th there's there's a funny anecdote, and we're going to wrap it up. I've got a funny anecdote where one of my um, mates I know called Ben Bradbury, a little shout out to Ben. Um, oh, Ben? Yeah, and he was like, oh, yeah, um, I forgot how this happened. He, was talking about, he started talking about Grove Tribe, and I thought, Grove Tribe? Like, like the thing that's in Amsterdam. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, my mate, yeah, my mate David was one of the covers. like, no way. And that's when I realized when someone I knew who I had no idea knew you and heard about yeah. you, that you guys were doing something amazing because he was in London. It was before you came to London. Wow. So before we wrap up the interview, a couple of things I want to say. First of all is I want to genuinely acknowledge you, man. Like, I'm really, really proud of you. Aww. Now, generally, like, it's, it's one thing to hear about what you're doing and we catch up every yep. once in a while when you came over to meet Sophie when she was born. You were the first one, actually, to come yeah. and see her out of the mates. And... um to come and walk into that building and see what you've been part of, managed to create, it's just unbelievable. It's really, really cool. And to hear that, how much you're growing and, and God knows what the future holds, you know? So I just want to say, well done. Like Thanks. It's really, really cool. It's 12 years in, huh? Yeah. I've been doing this for 12 yeah, years. Yeah. So it does it does take some time. Yeah. And I was reading a book by uh, Taleb yesterday. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, Fooled by Randomness. Don't underestimate the power of luck in all of this. 100%. Don't underestimate oh, yeah, it. Yeah. And, and it's identifying yeah. when you should seize an opportunity. But look, yeah. it's it's not... A lot of people have an attri attribution bias. They, I could think that this is going so great because I'm amazing. A lot of it's luck. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Got yeah. it. What's one thing most people don't know about you? Um, I was in a Chinese prison for a night. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I actually, I do a lot of public speaking, a lot. I think at the moment I do 14, 15 stages uh, per two months, something like this. This week I've had like four events, for example. I do a lot of, uh, please check us out on YouTube. We have a great YouTube channel. And I used to do a lot of teaching and training. I actually abhor public speaking. I don't mm. enjoy it. I mm. like the process of building the deck, building the story. I don't like the attention mm. at all. And it, it amazes people because I, I actually do quite a good job of it because I've done yeah, so yeah. much of it, uh, so much storytelling. I have my own style. It's completely different to the TEDx style. It's mm. very fast, lots of information on the You speak so the fast. Speak I saw really everyone, fast. you invited me to your London gig. I was like, yeah. fuck me, dude. That was like 150 slides in yeah, 20 exactly. minutes at so a pace of like 120 words per minute. It's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do, but it's sort of the style I like because I want to have that impact. I actually don't like public. Uh, speaking yeah. i prefer being behind my computer analyzing charts cool, designing man. something so that's that's a weird one um here's one thing i ask all my guests and one of them is yep. um if you could write down three truths that you've learned over your life over your business over your relationship like three truths that you would want to pass on to people that you could write it down on your board you had to leave this company you had to leave this oh wow and you could leave behi this behind three people truths. yeah three things that you've learned like you would want to pass on yeah what would those two choose be? Uh, so it's not super deep. The first one is uh, just watch lectures uh, on YouTube. And uh, <laughs> it's stupid, huh? but watch lectures on YouTube and listen to podcasts. Some of my greatest mentors are people who I've never met, but mm. who have been able to read their books, listen mm. to their lectures. Don't watch Netflix tonight. Mm. Uh, watch uh, watch a, a lecture by, uh, I think it's Jordan Spolsky on uh, neuroscience. 
uh, listened to a podcast by Anderson, uh, Mark Andreessen on uh, A16Z. Uh, uh, yeah, something like this. It's That's like the so first like one. So like education. Educate yeah, yourself. Yeah. Oh, it's like it's so exciting. There's so much stuff to learn. Um, three truth. The second truth is that. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, second important truth. It's really hard because the truth is so personal. Well, not truth, but like something that you've let that you want to pass on, right? Something that you just want to say. Look, I love the first one. Uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. 100%. Don't take you. You're not special. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are special, but then they grow up to be quite mediocre. Don't take yourself, <laughs> don't take yourself too seriously. I hate people. You shouldn't take yourself seriously. You know, we're not that special. Yeah. Listen listen to A Pale Blue Dot by Carl Sagan. Uh, listen to his talk, A Pale Blue Dot. It shows you we're a pale blue dot in an infinite universe. We're not that special. Yeah, read Sapiens to get an... Uh, yeah, uh, everyone yeah. you've ever known, every dictator, every love story, every business guy, everything is on this pale blue dot in the middle of the universe. We're not that special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third one, I think it's really important. People focus way too much on external factors of happiness. Uh, what education they have, how much money they make, what car they drive, what spouse they have, what party they go to, what they're going to eat, um, who they hang out with. Those are all external fac- factors of sort of happiness. Uh, and actually, you should focus on internal factors of satisfaction that is usually linked to the microbiome in your gut. It's going to have a direct link to what's happening in your brain. Meditation really, really helps to sort of be happy with actually what you have. And the fact that life is actually not about happiness. Uh, Jordan Peterson says this really, really well. Life is not so much about happiness. It's about how much uh, character you have in the face of suffering. Mm. And our generation especially, we're grown up thinking we're supposed to have happiness on a uh, Mm. 24-hour basis, which we're not. Mm. Happiness is a special little thing that comes from time to time. Mm -hmm. The the, the status quo should not be happiness. It's actually Mm. there's a lot of suffering and a a lot of moments where you're just not supposed to be happy. You're just supposed to be living and feeling and letting stuff come. What makes you happy? Don't focus only... uh, the kids, 100%. Yeah. I know that life satisfaction reduces when you have children, <laughs> but <laughs> we spending quality time with record, the kids yeah. or with my wife, that really makes me feel happy. Yeah. And when I'm in the flow, yeah, like the flow of learning or the flow of doing something, you forget yourself. You go yeah. into that, that meditative mindset of you're deep into a piece of work. Uh, then it's like huge satisfaction. You just feel that absolute buzz. And then just, I've, been, I've started sports again like uh, a year ago. Mm. I swim every morning for mm. like 45 minutes to an hour. And then basically that, those three things, yeah. uh, t- taking care of your gut correctly, so not eating too much shit. I also do fasting. I don't what eat do in the morning. What are you, are you vegetarian? Are you like... Yeah, so I don't eat me- meat anymore, but yeah. for other people, they should eat meat. Jordan Peterson, he stopped eating meat. He actually eats only meat, and it, it cured his, uh, it cured his uh, clinical depression. But me, I don't eat meat anymore. Uh, I eat a little bit of uh, cheese, but that's it. Uh, just because I, my body doesn't digest it really well. Yeah. Uh, I don't eat in the morning, so I fast until like one. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. I get the buzz until one. Like yeah, I'm yeah. so light and I feel great. Uh, I do sports, like just all the stuff you hear yeah. on the Joe Rogan podcast yeah, or yeah. the Tim Ferriss podcast that everybody repeats. Cool. But doing that exercise has changed my life. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're doing just more present. You're more. You're more clear. You're just more. I can handle everything much more better and yeah. I have energy. Yeah. Like I have energy until 11 p.m. non-stop energy. I also drink this amazing mix yeah. of like yeah, you three you types go, of... You guys see, David walks around with this kind of green lantern yeah. shaped bottle thing. You've always had this around. Always have it, What yeah. the hell's in there? So there's uh, mate tea, there's pure tea and there's green sencha tea. And it still has like caffeine, but it's a slow release of caffeine throughout the day. I stopped coffee a year and a half ago. I've been drinking only this stuff. This gives me like laser focus all day, every day, and it never stops. Last question. (laughs) And he's looking at me with an intensity. (laughs) Last question. What does being unconventional mean to you? That's a good question. Being unconventional, I find myself pretty conventional. I think it's actually... Everyone's sort of unconventional. Ah, everyone's unconventional because everyone's unique. Uh, there's this beautiful photographer called, I don't know what they're called. They're from Rotterdam. It's a book called Exactitudes. Check out exactitudes.com. Mm-hmm. And it's all these people who think they're unique and think they're unconventional. And these photographers took picture of hundreds of people in the streets of Rotterdam and then they clustered them by uh, the looks that they have and they look exactly the same. <laughs> so everyone's actually really, really <laughs> similar. There's very, very rare uh, are the people who are unconventional because creativity is just combining two ideas together. So being unconventional is maybe doing something that's a little bit shocking or paradigm shifting. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's it. I'm I have I'll I'm gonna go skepticism on uh, being <laughs> unconventional. I'm definitely not unconventional. Unconventional is maybe the guy who uh you know built that big long arm that's going through the ocean and it's picking up plastic. That's unconventional. Unconventional is maybe like Elon Musk, this crazy serial entrepreneur. People like this, people who Phil Knight from Shoe King, those people are unconventional. But I think it's the 0.001% of people uh, out there who actually are being cool. an eccentric. Cool. That's David, it. it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for rolling. Bye. That's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. I'm really grateful that David got to share his story uh, with me. And it was such an interesting setup. We were recording this in a, in a former disabled toilet turned into improvised office space slash kept on having to move and put the lights up, but that was really fun. And it was great to hear kind of his insights. And I really loved the, the last kind of learnings around why, why we actually education and learning and growing is one of the best investments you can make in yourself, how to stop taking ourselves so seriously and how to make sure that we take care of our health in order to perform at our best. So really appreciate David's insight. Again, if you want to let us know what you thought about the episode, make sure to tag us over on social media. I'm at Mark LaRoost and David is at Darnox, D-A-R-N-O-C-K-S. So really looking forward to hearing your thoughts about today's episode. And I am off to go and teach a three-day workshop. Really excited. And I cannot wait to see you join my mailing list to come up on the next cohort of the Impact Accelerator. I'll give you some more details on there. Again, go to markcruz.com and then click on Get Started. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you. I appreciate you. And I'll speak to you soon.